Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. I am your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, my partner in crime, Mike McShane. Mike, what's up, man? Jonathan, good day. It's going to be a good day. day. I'm I'm telling you. We're going to have a heavy, heavy influence here of round ball today, huh? Yeah, we have a lot of things we're going to discuss today, Mike. And some of those things aren't going to be good things either. (laughs) We're going to be talking about a lot of topics today. We're going to be talking about dumbasses, (laughs) which we love to do here. We're going to be talking about racism. Oh, God, yeah. Which is always a touchy subject, but we're going to hit it in the appropriate spot, of course. And we're going to talk about baseball rolls, which you got to love. Oh, yeah. Got to, got to love. Good one, good one. It's going to be a very, very good show today. Everybody knows the 30 for 30 series on ESPN. Well, there was a documentary that came out in December of 2012 called Broke. Um, and joining us today will be director Billy Corbin to talk uh, talk to us a little bit about the documentary, as well as talk to us about NBA Commissioner David Stern's comments calling the documentary racist, which I don't agree about, and we'll talk about that with Billy. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, I when when that documentary first came out, it 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 did get some eyebrows raised. Oh, it did. But not for the reasons that David Stern mentioned. No. It got eyebrows raised. It got eyebrows raised because of its content and because of its nature. Yeah. Um, Not to mention that Corbin is a uh, he does a lot of the thirty thirty stuff. He does. uh, Oh, and now he did broke. Yes. Right, and 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 he's you know he 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 does some controversial things and brings light to things, and uh, as well he should. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, that you know just being purposefully controversial. Quality stuff. The guy produces quality stuff. Absolutely, it was a it was a very very good documentary, Mike. I've seen it I've seen it twice now. I watched it last night again, and uh, I, I I thought it was a phenomenal documentary. And and I went as far as saying is that I think this documentary should be shown to all rookies coming out of college and even high school or wherever they're coming out of coming into the pros. Right, right. Should be in their contract that they have to read. Uh, excuse me, watch it and then even write a paper about it afterwards because. It happens too much of what's going on in this documentary. So true enough. True enough. Yep. So we'll get to that in a little bit with Billy Corbin. But first, Mike, let's start it off with something I love today in sports. Today in sports, well, you know, in light of the fact we have a heavy, uh, as I said, round ball flavor to the show today, I thought I would take it back to 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you want to take a guess, Jonathan? In 1991? Yeah. No, I don't want to take a guess. You don't want to take a guess? No, because I'm wrong. I said round ball, so I gave you a hint. The Chicago Bulls won their first NBA championship. The Bulls oh. beat the uh, Lakers four games to one. And, uh, well, as they say, the rest is history. Yes, big-time history. Let me tell you, now, uh, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, Mike. You know that. Everybody listening knows that. Uh, had my fair share of watching my Knicks just devastated in the playoffs by Michael Jordan. If it wasn't for Michael Jordan, I think uh, at least one of those Knicks teams would have won a championship. They were that good. Hated watching them win the championships, but now that I look at it and I was a part of watching that history live, glad to be a part of it, man. 
Michael Jordan was just a delight to watch. He really was. I, you know what? Even from you know the aspect of a of a of a fan of a different team. Correct. You know now that I'm, I mean now that I can say because back then of course I'm you know sticking my fingers up at the screen. I'm throwing stuff around yeah, the yeah. person Michael Jordan out. I wish I can go back and watch him again. Well, you know it's interesting, uh, and I'll draw a parallel for a moment, uh, and I think it's a fair one. Uh, you know they talk about uh, golf, and they talk about golf. No, hold on. They talk about golf, and they talk about how Tiger Woods has changed the audience of that game. Yes. That people watch golf because of Tiger Woods. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, for one, do not. I'm not watching just because of Tiger Woods. I've never watched Tiger Woods play a thing of golf, man. Okay. But they they know this. They know for a fact by looking at, at, at uh, ratings and what have you that this is what people are tuning in for. You know, people are tuning in to watch people who would not normally have watched golf. Yes, I agree. Michael Jordan did the exact same thing in basketball. Absolutely. People tuned in and watched basketball because of Michael Jordan. I'm going to count myself as one of them. Uh, you know me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a milk toast NBA follower. You know, I'm lukewarm. Um, but I had to watch. When Michael Jordan was on, you had to watch it. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? You can point that to a few different people in sports where people really tuned in to watch it or went to the games to see it because of a certain player. Michael Jordan is by far one of the best at that. So yep. totally agree with that, Mike. Let's stick with the NBA trend here. Let's talk about last night's game, Mike. Now, that's a game I did watch. I watched this one from the beginning to the end. Amazing, amazing, amazing game. And you made a comment pre-show that we're going to get into soon. Yep. And I want to get into that with you real quick. But the San Antonio Spurs defeated the Miami Heat 113-77. Wow. The San Antonio Spurs on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball completely shut down LeBron James and the Miami Heat, Mike. Yep, yep. So San Antonio now leads 2-1. to one. As you said, they needed to get at least one win down in Miami, which they did. Now they're in San Antonio, and this is where it's going to blow up for the Spurs. And we've seen it last night. Mm-hmm. They went 8, what was it? They went 16 of 32 from three-point land. Danny Green, 7 of 9. Gary Neal, 6 of 10. Mm-hmm. It was just nonstop lights-out shooting for the San Antonio Spurs, Mike. But one of the comments you made pre-show now was that you said that the, the San Antonio Spurs defense – Shut down the paint. They would not let LeBron James drive to the basket. Everything for uh, San Antonio played a defensive game that if, in fact, the Heat wanted to get anything, they had to go perimeter. Exactly. Uh, and, it, it, you know, look, with the exception of Mike Miller last night, they weren't getting it. I mean, when you take a look at LeBron's numbers, he only had 15 points total. Yes. Uh, and, and that's exactly what they did. And, Jonathan, they did it early, and they did it consistently throughout the game. You did not see San Antonio let up from that game plan whatsoever for four quarters. Yeah. And, you know, it proves it proves here that San Antonio can beat this team. I and mean, there's no question about it. Right. No question about it. Uh, you know, as you said before, Dwayne Wade's just completely out of gas. Wade, Wade you could see it in the face. And, you know, I, I made the comment, too. Yeah, I got to be honest. There's not too many guys really on this Heat team that I really, really like. But I like Dwayne Wade. I like him. Yeah, it's his uh, team. And, it's his and I team. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because when you watch his play, and when you watch him even just coming on and off the court, you could see by his face, by his body language, by his play, the guy's just out of gas. Yeah, he really is. Now let's get back to the comment you made about LeBron James not being able to drive the paint. Last night shown that, yes, LeBron James can score 30, 35, 40 points a game consistently. 
Half of those points come in from him driving into the paint. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, we've had those comparisons of LeBron James to Michael Jordan. We have them all the time. Right. And I love that you said that because this instantly, it just took everything that I said about the comparison between the two, that LeBron James could not play in the 90s NBA, Mike, because you cannot drive the paint in the, 90, in the 90s NBA. You couldn't. That's why back then you had sharpshooters. You don't see that, you know, you know, now in the NBA. You don't see that as much anymore. Back then you had your three-point shooter. Back then you had your rebounder. Back then you had your big center. Now you have guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant in the NBA. You don't have a consistent position anymore. But this is where I say LeBron James could not play in the 90s NBA, and the San Antonio Spurs proved it last night with their defense in the paint, because you never see defense like that in the paint anymore. I would agree with you that it was not a consistent way of playing the game back then, but you did have a handful of guys that could do it. We just brought one up. Jordan was capable of breaking down the lane. But look what Jordan did, though. He went up, I mean, he would bash bodies to get into that paint. Okay, and thank you. I was just going to say, the other one one that comes to my mind is O'Neal. Oh, of course. But see, these people could bash the bodies. They would go because back then, remember, if you went up against a guy like, let's say, Dennis Rodman, Charles Oakley, Xavier McDaniel, these big, big power forwards, Anthony Mason, they would chuck you into the stands if you tried to drive on them. You really had to get past them to get to the paint. Okay, now, so because of the, the uh, you know, the slow nature of the game and, you know, you sneeze on somebody, especially LeBron James, you get called for a foul, the paint instantly opens up. Right, right. You don't believe that LeBron's got that physicality? No, not at all. Really? I not think, at all. Hmm, that's interesting. And I said that when he came into the league, and I still stand by it. Hmm. I, sorry, but, you know, when players know that if they're defending you and you can sneeze on them and be called for a foul, they don't want to take that foul, especially in the paint. If you watch just this season alone, grab tape, look at LeBron James driving into the lane, it opens up. Right, right, right. Like right. the stand to the side. You know, literally, they let him go by because yeah, you're they right. You're right about trouble. They want to play the entire game, and they don't want to see by them taking fouls. You know, and once you're going to see LeBron James score probably another 15 points just at the foul line alone. Right. Yeah. Good. Good point. Good point. You know, back then in the 90s, Mike, you had your center, you had your power forward, you had your small forward, your shooting guard, and your point guard. You rarely had that anymore. Honestly, who are legit centers in this league now? There aren't any. Right. And you know, I mean, back in the 90s NBA, you had famous centers on almost, you know, every team. Almost every team. You're right. Shaq, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Dikembe right. Mutombo, the list goes on of guys who could block, who could play off. It's Hakeem Olajuwon alone. The guy was an offensive standout, but he played some damn good defense. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I let agree. me tell you, San Antonio Spurs last night, enjoy it because they played 90s basketball. It was amazing. It was amazing. And it would be wonderful to see them come out in Game 4 and do the exact same thing. you got to think that somewhere along the line, I, I guess you got to figure, and here were some of the comments that I heard being made this morning on some of the talk radio programs I was listening to, mm-hmm. that you have to know that LeBron's going to come out and, and, and have a monster Game 4. Oh, yeah. Although, you could see him trying to take control of last night's game strictly on his own anyhow. You know, like, you could almost see that he was getting a bit perturbed at the fact that, you know, nobody was nobody was producing anything. And there were a couple of times he actually tried to take control of the game, but to no avail because San Antonio just shut him down. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know what, at the same time, 
this is uh, the LeBron James, you know, not going to the podium last night after the loss. So, All right, real quick, uh, let's uh, stay into the NBA real quick here, and then we'll get with Billy Corbin, uh, our guest today. Uh, Brooklyn Nets, Mike, set to hire Jason Kidd as their head coach. Yeah. Report is a three-year deal. Um, they're in the middle of finalizing everything. I'm not happy about this. I I, I think it's ridiculous. I, I think it is ridiculous. The guy just retired a couple of weeks ago, and now he's a, a head coach when guys like Brian Shaw, Patrick Ewan, and so many others have been working to get to that position and just get passed over not even interviewed. Yep, I agree with you. I agree it's with incredible. you. It's terrible. Uh, to me, I'll tell you what this smacks up, Jonathan. Tell me if you concur or not. This is the Brooklyn Nets just looking for a name. Oh, absolutely. There That's is, what this oh, is all about. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is selling tickets. Putting, putting seats in the butt or butts in the in the uh, seats, yeah. and uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, I think in some respects it's kind of unfortunate because I don't think Brooklyn is really concerned about the product they're putting out there. No, they're not. They're not. It's very mediocre. But this goes to show you that you know just because you're a good floor leader on yeah. court, and Jason Kidd has been one of the best in the NBA. I'm not taking away from him as a player. He's got no head coaching experience. Being a, a leader on the floor is not being a head coach on the bench and that being your main job the whole time. Correct. And, and I, you know, listen, I, that's not to say that at some point or another, Jason Kidd could not be a head coach. Sometimes. Oh, no, I think he could be a really good head coach. Right, exactly. I, I do, too. To go somewhere and learn under a legit head coach, just right. like all the players do. You know, Nate McMillan did it. Avery Johnson did it. And I'm sorry, but both of them became very good head coaches in this league. And listen, Scott, uh, Scott Skiles did it. Considering his age and his experience, it, he probably could be on a fast track for a head coaching job. In other words, he might only have to spend a couple of years as an assistant coach oh, with someone. Easily. He, you know what? He'd be an assistant coach maybe two, maybe three years. Top exactly. Exactly. That becoming a coach. This, exactly. I don't understand from the Brooklyn Nets with so many guys out there that can be very good head coaches and deserve the positions. That they wouldn't even interview and bring Jason Kidd in right away. I mean, it's not finalized yet. It's all rumors right now. But we've been hearing it a lot the last two days. Yeah. Yep. So, we'll see what happens, I guess. I mean, it's... Uh, I think it's foolish. I, I I think it's very foolish. I think it's very foolish. I think it's foolish, but like, make no mistake, it is all about marketing. Oh, absolutely. There is no question about it. All right. Uh, we'll get to the rest of our NBA stuff later. But let's bring in our guest... Uh, Join us right now, and this should be him, is uh, Broke Director Billy Corbin. Billy, is that you? Hello. Billy? Hello? Hey, Billy, is that you? No, it's not. Oh, it's not? Who's this? It's John. How you doing, John? Not bad. I called in to uh, actually talk to you about the Jason Kidd thing, but you already beat me to it, so I guess I'll hang up and let you guys... No, 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 no. What's your opinion? What's your your thought on Uh, it? Honestly, I think it's a mistake, but that's just my opinion. I just wanted to get your take, John. That's all. <laughs> Sorry to bother yeah, you. <laughs> it, it, it is a mistake. It is a mistake, as you heard what we just said. So. All right. Great show, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Yeah. Bye. Oh, I thought that was Billy, but it wasn't. So let's get back into our NBA here because uh, the winning coach from last night, Mike, Greg Popovich, uh, came out um, sometime last night or this morning saying that uh, foreign foreign players work harder than American players, Mike. Right. Right. Um, I agree with Greg Popovich. I agree. I, I, I see no harm in his statement. It's not like he's bashing American players. He just says that Europeans work harder. Um, he says that they're fundamentally harder working than most American kids because, you know what, they have less, so they appreciate things more, and they're very coachable. Uh, it, it's, 
It's kind of a no-brainer observation in some respects. You take any good teacher, we're going to say the same thing. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, when you deal with when you deal with young people here in America, we 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 recognize how they have a tendency to feel entitled. Uh, that uh, you know they they should be able to get things for not working real real hard. I mean, it's a, it's a general uh, mind you. Uh, I, I you don't want to paint with a broad brush, but it's a pretty probably a pretty fair assessment. Oh, yeah. uh, you got to think that uh, Popovich's comments are going to create a firestorm in some places. Because while you say, Jonathan, that he's not actually bashing American players, he kind of is. He kind of is bashing them a little bit. No, I, no, I don't think he's bashing them. I mean, he's not saying that they're uncoachable, and he's not saying that they're terrible at learning things. But he's saying that, you know what, the European players, and if you think about it, it's true. They come from less. You know, they come from stricter backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They come, you know, from stricter sets of parents, right? And they're learned at an early age to listen and to listen to, you know, people that are teaching them things. And I, you know, I, I mean, this is the first coach in a long time that has talked about international players. Yeah. The bottom line, too, though, is uh, I mean, make you know, you know it as well as I do. A lot of these players can be playing. Where would they be playing if not playing here? They're going to be playing in European leagues. Oh, absolutely. And in European leagues, they're not getting paid the millions and millions and millions of dollars they are in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, obviously when they're coming here, you would think they're going to bring a greater appreciation for the fact that they're getting more for doing the same thing than if they were over in Europe playing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, I see no harm in uh, what Greg Popovich said, and I think he's uh, 100% correct. That kind of leads us. That kind of leads us into broke, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we're talking money. As we're talking money. Now it is time to talk money with our guest, and Back. that's uh, ESPN broke director Billy Corbin. Billy, what's going on? Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, no, thank you for having for coming on. Anytime. We appreciate it. So, Billy, real quick uh, for our listeners that are tuning in right now to uh, listen to us talk to you about broke, why don't you let them know what broke was all about? Well, Brooke was uh, the premiere of ESPN 30 for 30, uh, Volume 2, and it focused on the phenomenon, now really an epidemic of professional athletes generating millions of dollars uh, in income and finding themselves, uh, particularly in the NFL and the NBA, but also Major League Baseball and tennis and boxing and soccer, um, going broke within about three to five years of retiring from uh, professional sports. And you got the idea from following uh, Bernie Kosar around, correct, and talking to him before he went bankrupt? Well, yeah, for the first round of 30 for 30s, we did a documentary called The U mm-hmm. uh, about the championship history of the University of Miami Hurricanes football program, uh, the team of the 80s, as they were known. And one of the uh, the interviews we, we did on that project, when we were shooting it about the spring of 2009, was with uh, quarterback Bernie Kosar. And uh, mm-hmm. Bernie uh, not only was a national championship quarterback, uh, in, uh, in college ball, but he went on to play about 12 seasons, I believe, uh, in the NFL, which is nearly four times the average length of a career, which is about 3.3 years uh, in the mm-hmm. NFL. And uh, Bernie was very well known to have not only generated millions of dollars uh, as a, in the NFL, but afterwards he was a very savvy businessman, and as, as he put it, made even more money after he played football than he ever made playing football in, in real estate and his various business ventures. And literally, I think about two months after we did that interview with him on the U, uh, it was front page news in Miami that uh, Bernie had filed for, for bankruptcy. 
and was going mm-hmm. through a, a very messy and expensive divorce and uh, possibly going to lose his house and, and trying to raise uh, his his daughters, and, and it was a very sad story, and, and that really was the impetus for, for this. In addition to Pablo Torre's um, Sports Illustrated story, which was published right around that same time, it was kind of this one-two punch, and he yeah. put it into perspective saying that it's not just these isolated incidents that you read about, but it's taking on kind of epidemic proportions. Mm-hmm. Well, we've heard a lot of players that have just you know thrown money away or you know done things to where they are now, and they have none of it. Um, with all the people that you interviewed, I mean, you had Jamal Mashburn on there, Bernie Koso, like we said, Andre Risen, Leon Cersei, even Marvin Miller. Um, after it was released, how was the feedback from all of these people that you know were actually in it and then saw it afterwards? Well, I think I think it was it was <laughs> it was a mixed bag. I think there was some confusion from the audience. Uh, about who was broke and who wasn't. Um, Jamal Mashburn, for example, is an outstanding success story. Uh, yes. But that comes from, from his attitude and the way that he approached basketball as an opportunity, not as a career. And, and he mm-hmm. you know, had always dreamed as a, as a child of, of going into business and wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase. So even when he was a basketball player, he was looking for what was next for him and what opportunities he could create out of the, the high profile and, of course, the, the incredible uh, revenue that he was generating as a basketball player. So Jamal was a success story. And if you, you watch it all the way to the end, you see all of these guys have various struggles with money, yeah. but, but, but some of them come out on top, and he was one of those success stories. So I think some people were confused that whether or not everybody we interviewed uh, was actually broke in the end, but you have to, right. you know, like any story, you have to watch to the end to, to, to find out. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, we watched it. I, you know, I thought it was a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary, and to me, it was something that I think that they should make rookies coming into the leagues watch and really think about it, maybe even have them write a paper on it, because, you know, you see all these guys, as you said in, in, in this documentary, and as all of these athletes said in it, you, you know, I can't remember who it was, but he was like, you know what, I wanted a Ferrari, but why did I need that Ferrari at the time I had a Porsche and it tricked out Denali? You know, I, I think, you know, the money, you know, the money just clouds everybody's minds and judgment. And it, it really needs to be these rookies coming in, you know, being, you know, needs to watch it. Now, David Stern's comments recently, I'm sure you read them. I'm sure you heard a lot about it. He went into saying basically that, you know, the documentary was a little racist. I mildly, didn't see that. I think was his term. <laughs> yeah. Mildly. I, I, I didn't see anything racist about it. I thought it was a well put together documentary. I thought it was a brilliant documentary at that. What did you think Thank of David's comments? Well, we approached it, and our uh, primary goal was to provoke some kind of public discussion on what is otherwise a pretty taboo and private subject, you know, this issue of personal finances and, and these people who, you know, with great pride and with great success who find themselves in some kind of financial trouble. And, you know, to that end, when the movie premiered eight months ago uh, in October on, on ESPN, you had LeBron tweeting about it. You had Magic Johnson tweeting about it. You had Michael Vick uh, telling people to watch it. Lennox Lewis uh, recommending it to people. So, and now you have the, you know, the outgoing commissioner of, of basketball talking about it, and, and I think that's, that, that means mission accomplished. I mean, that means we, we accomplished the goal of starting a conversation. We hope, by the way, that it would start even sooner, not just at the rookie level, but, but at the amateur level, at the college level, that these universities who uh, exploit these, these student-athletes uh, to, to extraordinary amounts of money, that they would take their responsibility a little bit ser- more serious knowing mm. that, that a certain percentage of these kids are going to go out and become millionaires overnight. Uh, so now, mind you, it's a very small percentage, but they know that that's going to happen come draft time. So they need to prepare, I think, the, the student-athletes a little bit better because once they've 
made, gotten those contracts, it's almost a little far gone at that point. I mean, any of us, if we were that age, suddenly coming into that kind of money, I think we'd all go a little crazy, you know, in terms of the spending and, and how we'd want to, how we'd want to, what we'd want to do with our money. And nobody could tell us that when we were at the peak of our powers and physically and, and economically and, and certainly in terms of our ego, that nobody's going to say, hey, listen, don't spend this money now. Save it for when you don't have it anymore. They're going to go, screw that. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a spending spree. A lot of us would right. do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But but Billy, while I appreciate the fact that you're saying, uh, well, you know, David Stern's talking about the documentary. He's really not talking about it because he's not promoting it. In fact, what he's doing well, he by 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 putting a taint of racism on it, he's actually discouraging it. And in some in some respects. I think taking away from any validity that there might have been to the program itself. I, I'm well, not I, sure. I mean, I think, I think the ahead. statement he made is patently absurd about the movie. Nobody interpreted yes. it that way. I mean, a lot of people have seen it in the last eight months, and it's almost not even worth dignifying it because, of course, we approached it from a perspective of an American uh, phenomenon, and, and, and it's, it's kind of a you know, post, you know, pre- and post Great Recession story as well. No one was looking at it from the perspective that he, he's apparently the only one who uh, who saw that. But if you if you watch the whole interview that he did, uh, you could uh, and, and you'll see that he actually, after he makes that statement, he instantly backs away from it and starts talking about some of the highlights of the movie and some of the anecdotes that he found yeah. particularly profound. And he says that he watched the movie more than once. So I think if you really drill down into it, he got a lot out of the movie, and I think that that other people could get a lot out of the movie too. Okay, interesting because that's not the way the one article kind of paints it, does it? No, it didn't. There was a few out there that didn't paint it right at all. Yeah. If yeah, I mean, well, if that's I mean, the case. Well, you've got some pulled quotes, but if you watch the whole thing, he starts talking about uh, he starts talking about some. He, he doesn't dwell on any of the NBA players, but he starts talking about some of the boxers and the NFL players that we profile or talk about uh, in the story. And I, I would think it, it would be a shame for anyone, uh, particularly an athlete. Uh, but any young American, really, who, who is who is you know coming up in, in the world and, and hopefully having having success, I, I think it would be terrible to discourage anyone from watching this because I think there's some there's some lessons to be learned from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it was an amazing documentary. I think there is a ton of lessons to be learned from it, and that's why I said I think uh, you know. And then with you even saying that maybe this should this documentary should be instilled into colleges for these guys that are coming out. You know, like you said, we're going to be millionaires overnight. This is something that really needs to be watched because we've heard. Time and time again, how many athletes end up going broke either during their career or just right after? You know? And some guys go broke multiple times over yes. their career. You know, they, they're fortunate <laughs> enough, though, to have another contract and to be well enough to get, and talented enough and conditioned enough to continue to play. But, you know, do you see guys that, that blow through contract after contract after contract? When I say blow through, by the way, it's not just as a result of, of uh, you know, frivolous uh, spending and conspicuous consumption. If you watch the movie, you see a, a lot of these guys are incredibly generous. They feel that they're blessed to have the ability to yeah. to have this talent and to generate this revenue, and they feel like you know the rising tide should raise all ships, and that they should support not only their own family but multiple families. I mean, Bernie Kosar talks about. I had a cell phone. My wife had a cell phone, but he was paying dozens of cell phone bills. He didn't even know who, who had all of these cell phones. And a lot of guys feel. The, the, the desire or the need to help lift up their entire communities or cities uh, in, in, in some cases, and, and that doesn't end well. The generosity really comes back to bite them in many cases. Sometimes it's uh, just bad investment advice. I mean, I'm thinking of right now, I'm thinking of Kurt Schilling. Uh, Brian Baldinger uh, uh, has indicated that he one time got stung for a lot of money just on bad investment advice. 
Suddenly you're coming oh, yeah, into a right. lot of money and people are telling you, oh, this is where you should go. You should be investing in this or invest your money in me, and it turns out to be a bust. Oh, I was just reading an article. Uh, I didn't get through the whole thing yet because I saw uh, Drew Brees is suing a former teammate who put him and a bunch of other guys into some non-existent uh, investment where, you know, where, they, where, they, where they lost six figures each uh, on, on the deal. So this happens wow. all the time. I mean, they're in a business where their salaries are published on every sports website and every newspaper right. in the country when they sign their deals. And that immediately puts a, a target on their backs. You know, a lot of us get to, kind of, you know, get to exist underground. You know, people don't, you know, don't care who we are or care about how much money we make. So nobody knows. But these guys, right away, they're right out there going, look, look at this guy. He's young. He's rich. And you can go in and maybe take advantage of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that was uh, Phil Hauser from the uh, Saints, I believe, was uh, Drew Brees' yes. Old teammate. Let me just throw this one at you, uh, Billy. One of our we we have a chat room that goes during the show, and one of our folks in the chat room is asking, uh, "Doesn't Herm Edwards have a money conference for rookies? Do you have any knowledge on that?" Yeah, well, in fact, we show some clips uh, from his discussion that he gives rookies okay. uh, it, at the end at the end of the movie. I mean, Herm's a great speaker. He's he's extremely uh, 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 inspiring on this subject in particular. Um, he, and we do have some very funny clips. You know, he talks to guys about, you know, he has this one of everything policy. You sign your, your your check, you get one car, you get one house. Maybe mom gets one house. You get you, you get one piece of jewelry. What is it? You don't need the Mr. T starter set. You know, you're entitled to treat yourself to something. You know, you're young, you're rich, you wanna you you, you wanna show it. But I, I think we're we're entering an era. I hope we are anyway. You know, where where I say smart is the new stupid where it used to be cool to kind of blow your money, to wear it on you, to drive it into work, to show it off in the, in the locker room. And, and your investment portfolios are not sexy things like bars and restaurants with your name on them. You know, they're not, they're not sexy investments like athletes like to have for their, for their egos. But now I think you're getting to the point where guys are like, hey, I'm going to set my family up forever based on the money I make in these few short years that I play ball, and that's going to make me cooler than any of you. And I think hope we're getting to that point now. Right. Absolutely. Now, do you think it's, uh, you know, with the contracts that are being signed today, and they're, you know, just worth a lot more than in the 80s and 90s. Keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Do you think that this could, you know, this problem could become bigger, or do you think now with documentaries like Broke, Hopefully, more and more you know kids coming out of college will watch it, and they'll be a little bit brighter about what they do with their money. Do you think uh, you know that could happen, or do you think that it actually could get worse? Well, I, I think it's I think it's going to get bigger in terms of the proportion of the money you're seeing. So you're absolutely right. Herm Edwards says in the movie he was in the league in the '70s as a player. He was making fourteen thousand five hundred dollars a year. That's what wow. he was making. Wow. And, and the other and the other part of the year they got a job because what the hell else are you going to do for six months out of the year? If, you know, if you're not playing ball and you're not making any money. So so you're right, very different reality now and, and it's it's extraordinary how the NFL has not peaked in its popularity. It gets bigger every year, the ratings go up, the licensing fees paid for, for T V rights are, are off the charts and as a result of course that eventually trickles down uh, to the players and so you're gonna see players continue to make more and more money. I'm ho- now that being the case you're gonna see players lose more and more money, but I'm also hoping it's gonna happen to fewer players because people are now listen we're still talking about it eight months after the movie came out you know and i feel like as long as there's this level of of awareness that i mean we we watch players uh, the the ratings for the movie were off the charts it was the highest rated 30 for 30 uh, at that time uh, we even beat out our, our record on on view uh, previously and but more importantly
importantly than that, the social media metrics were off the charts. I mean, people were online talking about this movie while it was on. I told you some of the incredible athletes that were, you know, with, with obviously huge social media followings that were tweeting about it. But more importantly and more heartening for us were the college athletes who were watching and tweeting about it. And, and the sentiment among them was, I'm not going to be in broke too. <laughs> you know, you're not going to see me on OTL screwing up. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna do it smarter, and that that was to me the you know the, the fulfillment of of this entire process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. It, it was it was absolutely by far one of the you know probably my favorite thirty for thirty documentary. I thought it was just phenomenally oh, thank done. You. It's not even it's not even my favorite. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, well, you know what? I have two favorites. I have Broke and I have Once Brothers. Oh, Those are okay. my two. That's, oh, I like um, two Escobars. And mm-hmm. um, I dug the USFL piece too. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, two Escobars was good. There was that uh, Pablo Escobar in them, right? Eh. Yeah, and the soccer piece. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was, going. It was but that, that, that's in my wheelhouse. That's like sports and cocaine. So that's like well, I, well, I saw my top. cowboys and limelight and all these other ones you have. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, what are you working on now, and what can we expect to see coming on Thirty for Thirty next? Well, we've got um, – we're in post-production on four great projects, uh, one of which is wow. a 30 for 30 short. Um, I don't know if you know, last year they started on Grantland, on Bill Simmons' site. They premiered this series of 30 for 30 shorts that yes. just don't quite, you know, make a feature-length movie but are, but are definitely issues worth exploring. There was an incredible one on Pete Rose, um, a great one on Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, one on, on the creation of the Arnold Palmer, which is pretty funny, um, mm-hmm. and um, – the uh, and so we're doing one. I, I don't know that I can talk about it yet, but I can tell you we're do, we're doing it because it, it's going to premiere in the uh, in the fall uh, on ESPN.com and Grantland. And uh, then we're working on a four-hour documentary miniseries for VH1 called uh, "The Tanning of America: How Hip Hop Changed the World." And it's based on a book by a guy named Steve Stout, who ran Interscope's hip hop division for many years. And it's a really compelling theory about how uh, a generation of Americans who grew up immersed in hip-hop culture as the predominant American culture, the millennials, uh, it, it panned the mental complexion of that generation, and they went out in record numbers and voted uh, for an African-American president. So it's a really interesting exploration about how hip-hop elected Barack Obama and the changing demographics wow. in America were influenced by hip-hop. It's a really interesting book, and it's a really uh, fascinating – and we're interviewing, like, Dr. Dre and Snoop and Rick Rubin uh, and Diddy, and like it's just this incredible Nas. It's this remarkable cast of characters uh, wow. in that movie. And uh, Norm, Norman Lear who did a lot of the early African American sitcoms, you know, Good Times and The Jeffersons. Right. Um, right. Just incredible. And and finally, uh, our sports related project, um, other than the Thirty for Thirty short, a project called Dog Fight. I got to spell it. It's D A W G. It's not a Michael Vick uh, <laughs> documentary. Um, <laughs> and it's a really compelling subculture that's almost extinct here in Miami. Um, the neighborhood called Perrine in southwest Miami-Dade is a neighborhood that Kimbo Slice uh, came out of. And yes. he inspired a whole generation of young kids to literally try to fight their way out of, out of the ghetto. And uh, what they do is they have these illegal, unsanctioned, underground backyard fighting events. They have a 12 by 12 ring, and two guys go in there and just pummel each other until one of them uh, gets knocked out, taps out, where the ref just calls it because it gets too brutal. And we've seen all three of those things go down. And we followed it for a year and a half. And, I mean, it's an incredible story. These guys think that their best opportunity is to do these fights, videotape it, upload it to the Internet, and hopefully get discovered by a pro MMA trainer or, or promoter. And, and over the course of 
the year and a half we shot it, a lot of guys went pro, and some guys didn't live that long. So it's a really mm. compelling and, and, and wow. tragic and, and action, real real life action movie kind of a story. Wow, that that's actually and that's what that uh, Dada Five Thousand you followed, right? Exactly, Dada was believe it or not, he was the uh, he traveled all over the world for a year with Kimbo as like Kimbo's bodyguard. If you can imagine mm-hmm. what Kimbo's bodyguard looks like, this is a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if Kimbo Slice needs a bodyguard, man, I wouldn't want to stand next to that guy. So, <laughs> well, you see his record, so I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that all sounds great. I'm I'm looking forward to all of that. I'm sure Mike is. Well, I'm actually looking yep. more forward to the hip hop one, man, because I love my music documentary. So, oh, well, that's, that's a fascinating February. That, yeah, that's just a fascinating perfect. one from the standpoint of just uh, uh, social. You know, the whole social aspect of it. That's that's what's fascinating about that. And of course, there's a little bit of politics that runs in me anyhow. So. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's, it's more of a you know kind of a so, social phenomenon than a political phenomenon. I like to say it's Correct. less about politics and more just to explain how we got to this moment uh, in history. So I think it's a it's a good bipartisan project, but I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. Because I think there's a generation of Americans who still don't understand how Barack Obama got elected twice. And I think from a pop culture standpoint, this this project really explains it and premieres February on VH1. There you wow. go. Looking forward to that one, Billy. Certainly, thank you so much for joining us today at the last minute, man. It's it was been great having you on, and uh, I, I really hope broke just turns everybody around, man. And we don't see this as much happening anymore. It would be great. Thank you, and thanks for having me. And go Heat. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Billy. Man, we, thanks, Billy. Take care. Oh boy! Hey, you know what? It, it was such an interesting, interesting documentary, Mike. I I, I saw it when it came out. Uh, I didn't see all of it when it came out. But then when I heard all of David Stern's comments about it, um, you know, I felt compelled to watch it again. And like I said, I, I, I saw nothing racist about it. You well, know, obviously. I feel racist about it because as um, I'm, I can't remember what his name was, uh, Patrick Sicker over at BlackSportsOnline.com, he said, so 80% of your league is black, and of the top 50, the highest players in the league, only a handful of them are white, of which Kevin Love is the only white American. And you are surprised that a documentary that features your league would have a heavy, a heavy emphasis on black players. Right, right. I, I, I don't think necessarily that David Stern got that. And when he did first come out with Mildly Racist and then turned around and started to focus on the film and say how he you know, watched it a few times and then enjoyed it, I think uh, he kind of caught himself in uh, between two rocks there. So Right. Now, uh, and obviously, uh, and I, you know, I guess maybe what we should have done was seen if we could find, because it looks like, as, as Billy pointed out, this interview actually did take place on videotape, and apparently it was over on Wall Street Journal Live. Yes. Um, I guess what we would have had to have done was to have seen the entire interview with David Stern, because as I pointed out, this article from Black Sports Online really doesn't go into some of the things that Billy Corbin was talking about. No. That uh, the commissioner, in fact, you know, kind of was actually praising it a little bit, you know, after making his initial comments. Yeah. So, uh-huh. It'd be nice to watch that. But, of course, you know, media, again, they take one thing and they right. get it out and exactly. they get everybody believing into one thing. I, I didn't know that there was a video. I thought this was a written interview. That's what I thought, too, but I'm noticing right now that it was over, apparently, on uh, Wall Street Journal Live as well. Yeah, we'll have to look that up later, but, you know, want to send out a special thank you to uh, Billy Corbin, last minute. Great stuff, great stuff. Uh, thank you for dropping on. You could also check out um, his, um, I, I, I guess, his media studio, 
which is rankinturd.com, R-A-K-O-N-T-U-R.com, and you can see uh, Dogfight, which you were just talking about. You can check out Broke, uh, Limelight, Square Grouper, and then the U, which is another 30 by 30, Clubland, Cocaine Cowboys, Cocaine Cowboys 2, and Raw Deal, a question of content. You can check them right there on uh, rackandtour.com. Yeah, Corbin's been, Corbin's been in, uh, in movies and in production work now for, I think, almost all of his life. Yeah. This guy's been just doing stuff, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff. In fact, he was a uh, child actor, actually. Yes, he was. Be great to get him on, man. After uh, some of his next sports documentaries, we'll definitely uh, love to hear about all of that from him. Yep, great stuff. Well, let's talk a little bit about baseball, Mike. Yeah, I know how you love your baseball, but this one is a little. Eh, I don't know what's going on here. So uh, we we read a story this morning that the 2014 Major League Baseball season is set to begin in Australia. Yes, America's favorite pastime is launching its 2014 season in Sydney, Australia, with a two-game series between, guess who, Mike? The Los Angeles Dodgers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, yeah. Yeah, which we'll be talking about them for, for a couple of minutes here. Will we need a yeah, referee for that game? Yeah, we're going to roll right from uh, one one story about the Do- Dodgers and Diamondbacks to another one. Exactly. Um, uh, I guess the first question uh, we would throw out, and, and look, I'd love to hear from an audience member, uh, do we really need to be opening up a season in Australia? No. I mean, seriously? I'm okay with an exhibition game or two. You know, you know, maybe weeks and weeks before the season starts. You know, people that are going to be playing, you know, summertime baseball, let them go down there and, uh, you, you know, preseason stuff. Let them go down there and play, you know, a set down there. Why does it have to be meaningful baseball games? The uh, the other thing I'm reading here is uh, it, well both of these games they're going to open on March 22nd, so that's a good uh, almost week and a half before the rest of the league does. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always hate that because it you know it it, it gets confusing. But uh, I don't understand. You know you, we, you and I talked about uh, the NFL uh, and 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 its European attempts. We talked about that. Uh We've talked about baseball, and we were mentioning how we would like to see, you and I both would like to see baseball in the Olympics because of the universality of baseball. Well, look, Australia's got baseball. We know that. Why are we sending Major League Baseball teams over to Australia? Yeah. Listen, you know what? And, and listen, I'm fine with if Major League Baseball wants to do something in Australia. And listen, everything we have to say about the NFL and be it has nothing to do with London. It has nothing to do with Australia, both beautiful countries. Um, it, it has to do with the fact that, you know what, if you want to do something, why don't you put a contingent of players together and send them over there to play the Australian baseball team? Right. Do something like that. Why does it have to be meaningful baseball that's going to count against the record? Opening up in Australia. And yeah. like they said, too, is that the Dodgers and Diamondbacks will be in Sydney for six days leading into the games. So it basically destroys any semblance of competition for roster spots. Absolutely. Not to mention they're 7,000 miles away. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on, man. You know, we talk about it with football, too. I mean, it's 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 a long season baseball. Very, very long season. It's not as long as football. It's not as long as basketball or hockey. And even in those sports, you hear about how, well, they don't really want to go over to London, especially if they're thinking about putting a team there, because they're already away from their families as much. Yeah, I, I, you know, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I, I agree with you 100%, Jonathan. If they want to do something there, that's fine. I would say do it exhibition. 
Yeah, I, I don't know why it has to be. I, I'm I'm okay with an exhibition game over there. Why not? That's cool. Great for them. I don't see why it has to be a meaningful. Why does the baseball season have to open in Australia? You know what? What the hell? You might as well put a team in Australia then too. Go the NFL route. You want one in London? Put one in Australia then. I, I just I I just don't see why. I mean, you know, let it be a preseason game. Why does it have to be a mean? I don't care if they go there and play. Why does it have to be a meaningful baseball game? Right. Right. You know, sidekicks in the room saying, oh, boo-hoo about their families, but I wouldn't want to be away from my family that long either on top of it. So, you know, of course they make the millions. We all hear about, oh, well, they make the millions. It comes with it. But at the same time, you know what? There's our guys down there that don't make the millions yeah. that are going to be away from their families, you know. But that's just me. And as we said in Broke too, Mike, what he was talking about, he goes, yes, you know what? This guy makes $100,000 a season. But in certain states, after taxes and after everything else he has to pay off, he's only bringing in possibly around 45000 a year. Right. You know, which is what most common Americans make. So, I don't know. I'm not too happy about it, but we guys... it, it just strikes me. It strikes me as a as a kind of a, a publicity stunt. That, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, listen, they want to bring in... Again, the, you know, it's marketing. Supposedly grow it. But I, I don't see how you can grow baseball when it's already in Australia. You know, they're already part of the World Baseball Classic. How can you really grow baseball in Australia when it's, you know, they already play a lot of baseball down there? Well, exactly, and that's why I can actually justify the NFL's move to take some games over to London and to Europe for the purposes of, say, introducing the American football uh, version to European audiences. That I understand. In Australia, they already have baseball. Yeah. So why are we taking our American baseball to Australia when they already have it? I don't. I see. I don't understand what the objective is. That's what I don't get. Uh, I would like somebody, uh, if somebody from Major League Baseball could explain to me what the purpose is. Maybe I would better understand it. Maybe I'd accept it. I don't know. I don't know. But we were talking about Dodgers, Diamondbacks going over to. Sydney, Australia, to possibly open the 2014 season. But let's talk about last night because we had a major, major benches, benches clearing brawl. Uh, <laughs> twice the benches cleared twice. Six were ejected. Uh, it was just, it seemed like a hit batsman parade between Ian Kennedy and Zach Greinke last night. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, which, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but Pugue, the rookie from the Dodgers, I mean, he got drilled in the face and nothing happened. But when Zach Greinke gets hit in the back, that's when the benches clear. So. Yep. Protect the pitcher, but not your outfielder? <laughs> you watched it last night, the fight, Mike. What did, what did you think of it? Um, What did I think of it? it and, was, besides Mar- <laughs> besides Mar- uh, Mark McGuire being a wuss, what else did you think uh, of it? Yeah, well, that was my first reaction. Um, Yeah, it was great because uh, in some respects, I mean, you, you saw all the different managers getting involved in it and, and bench coaches and, and hitting coaches and what have you. And uh, run them down for me there, Jonathan. Because it looked like uh, it looked like a reunion of old timers. We had McGuire, we had Alan Trammell, we had uh, Don Baylor. Uh, who else? Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly. And Don Mattingly uh, took out Alan Trammell. Right. Uh, and, was, and you know what? Kirk Gibson too. I forgot. Kirk Gibson was the uh, Gibson. Well, wait a minute. And uh, was it Matt Williams in there? Uh, I believe he was. Yeah, because he's on yeah. the Diamondbacks bench, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it looked like it, and, and they were all just as involved in it. As the players were. I think they were more involved in it than the players were. <laughs> I turned around and I looked into the middle. I was like, isn't that Don Baylor? I was like, I didn't even know he was still in the league. Right. It, 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 you know, obviously, I don't want to encourage uh, this sort of thing, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> it, it, it was fun. I mean, you know, 
thankfully nobody got hurt. I mean, there were no punches being thrown. It was more just happening, oh, you know, schoolyard kind of crap. There were a couple. I, I didn't see any punches thrown. I just seen a lot of tackles. I seen a lot of grabbing of jerseys. I seen a lot of people getting thrown to the floor. One of them tried to get thrown over the railing back into the dugout. That was pretty cool, I thought. Somebody ended up over a railing. Yeah, I don't know who that was. I think that was uh, Turner Ward. I think that was the uh, yeah, that was the uh, Arizona. I think pitching coach. Okay. Turner Ward. Yeah, it was him getting pushed into it. Um, I, you know, it was it was pretty entertaining. I think that was the most entertaining thing about baseball I've seen all year. Oh, listen to you. But, uh, like I told you before, with the way the NL West is going, and with the Dodgers being at the bottom of the scrap heap there, if this ignites the Dodgers and they start to raise in the rankings and start to play actual baseball. At the end of the season, if they're in second or even first place, you could turn around and look at this and say, wow, this is what got them up there. Yeah, it's, it's is this possible. the most fired they've shown all year? It's possible. Um, Besides Yagio Pugue, I mean, he's the only one doing it. I, and, I, and I think I'm saying his name right. I don't know if it's Pugue or Puig or whatever. Um, I mean, he's the only one that's showing any fire on the Dodgers team. And then all of a sudden last night, but you know what? Arizona has to be thankful because if this was Royd Rage with Mark McGuire, he probably would have ripped some heads off. Yeah, but we saw that. That's what I was saying. He really kind of looked a little bit. Dude, he's down from those steroids, man. Uh, that's that's my point. You know, he he just finally like, cleared his blood of all the drugs. He looked like he was getting pushed around a bit. No creatine, no androstine in his blood, man. So it's mm-hmm. not going to do nothing for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny to see what when it was actually when it was actually starting uh, for real because as you pointed out, the bench is cleared twice. Bench is cleared the first time, and that was really for nothing more than the umpire to come out and give both teams a warning yeah. because they went through this whole series of pitchers hitting batsmen, you know, one after another. They were just hitting each other with the ball. And uh, the umpire no sooner gives the uh, warning, and I think it was Kennedy, goes up to the mound, and the very first pitch, the very first person up, he plinks him right in the, right in the back. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And that's what caused the whole darn thing to explode. That was pretty funny. And it, it just went on for a while. I mean, it really went on for a while. It was not like one of these ones. Everybody comes out and uh, grabs a couple of guys, pushes them around a little bit, and then it breaks up. It seemed to be looking like it was breaking up and people were starting to get cooler heads, and all of a sudden it would fire back up again. Kind of like a hockey fight. <laughs> well, if you're actually that much interested in the game and not the brawl like we are, the Dodgers won 5-3. <laughs> It went. It went uh, I actually just had to look at the final score because I had no idea who won the game. Went extra innings, I believe it went 15. Did it? Uh, da, 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 no, it didn't go. No, it didn't go extra innings. But it did. No, final. No, nine innings. Hmm. I don't think any game went extra innings last night. Actually, unless I'm. I could have. Okay. Anyhow, I could have sworn because I've got both. <coughs> Excuse me. I got both Dodgers. No, and... no, it was nine innings. No, nine innings. Okay. All right. Yeah, nine innings. Um, I, I I thought it was great. You know what? I haven't seen that kind of uh, intensity in a uh, baseball game in a long time. And you know what? I like it. It was fun. I like it a lot, let me tell you. Um, tonight, Stanley Cup Finals? Yes, we do. Finals. It opens That's tonight. Right. Boston Brewers, Chicago Blackhawks. It feels like we haven't had a hockey game in, uh, in a long time. Yeah, it does. You're right about that. Yeah. Been a long, long time. But let's talk a little bit of hockey news real quick here, Mike. we got over eight minutes left. Uh, Penguins signed uh, head coach Dan Bilsma to a two-year extension. Now let's talk a little bit about coaching rumors. We're hearing John Tortorella is talking to the Vancouver Canucks. Right. Elaine Vigneault is talking to the Rangers. And a lot of other people are waiting on Dave Tippett from Phoenix. Let let me go back to the Bilsma one. Um, 
for a moment, Jonathan, uh, and get your read on that. Because I had read some uh, articles yesterday and some op-eds uh, where there are a good number of uh, Pittsburgh fans, contingent fans out there, that uh, thought that that was a bad move. No, no, no. They're morons. Let me tell you. Morons. Okay. All right. I think Dan Bilsma is a very, very good head coach, and I think he's done enough to warrant another year because, look, he's had a lot of injuries with this team. And it's an aging team, and they only put more age on it, and you can't put that against Dan Bilsma because that's against the general manager. When you have injuries and age already, and the general manager goes out and brings in Brandon Morrow, who's always injured, and then he brings in an old Jerome McGinley, mm-hmm. that's not Dan Bilsma's fault. Right. But he still got them without Crosby, with a lot of injuries, with a lot of age. He still got them into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the guys, if he ended up getting fired, Mike, that was a guy that I would probably put in my top three of coaches I'd like to see the Rangers interview. Right. So I don't know why Pittsburgh fans are thinking of it. I guess it's what have you done for me lately as usual with these with these bandwagon fans. Oh, I got you, yeah. So, uh, no, I just wanted to get your read on it, whether you – Yeah. It's a shame. So. Because, I mean, we have seen so much of this. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, uh, just so far this offseason for the NBA where you had coaches with winning records – Getting canned, and and frankly, I'm getting a little bit tired of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, who, who was it just the other day? It was uh, it was a Memphis coach. Oh yeah, Lionel Hollins, who got right. them, who did a very very good job with this team, and I can't see why that they didn't extend his contract. I, I he should have at least gotten a two year extension from them. Mm-hmm. At least give the guy two. He did it. He's done a phenomenal job with that Memphis Grizzlies team. But let me tell you, man. He's going to get a job quick. He's not going to be sitting around for one. So. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I, I like Lionel Hollins. I think he's a very, very good coach. He gets a lot out of players that other coaches couldn't get out of before Zach Randolph being one of them. Mm-hmm. Seriously, look at Zach Randolph's career from when he went to the Knicks, when he was with uh, – I can't remember who he was with before. Who was he with? The, uh, the Clippers, I think? Oh, no, with the uh, Trailblazers, right, Zach Randolph? You tell me, man. Trying to bring it up right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I, you know. To the Knicks, to the Clippers. So with the Blazers, with the Knicks, with the Clippers, he's done jack. Yeah. He goes to the Grizzlies, and he's 31 years old now. He was playing great basketball all season. He was a big part of why the Grizzlies got into the playoffs. So I thought that was a shame what happened to Lionel Hollins. But it's, I don't know, Mike. And now, and now we got Doc Rivers saying that he thinks it's time for a change. So he might be out of Boston now. So. Right. It's just, I, I don't know what's going on with these coaches, I, and I don't know why when you have a coach that has done so much for your organization, Mike, and they miss the playoffs or they don't do good in the playoffs, you instantly can them. I, I hear you. I mean, I mean the Boston Celtics alone, they're an aging team. You can't put that on Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is a very, very good basketball coach. He's done a lot with that team, you know, and now a lot's going to go on him now, too. So. What have you done for me lately? Yes, and that's what it is now in sports. What have you done for me lately? It's a shame. It's a real, real shame, Mike. Let me tell you, we had a good show today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We had a really good show, man. I, I, I really enjoyed having Billy Corbin on with us. And every time I think about it, I want to say Tyrone Corbin, thinking he's the uh, from the Utah Jazz, but he's not. So, Real quick, though, Mike, home run derby. As home we run know, derby. all-star game is where? In New York, City Field? Correct, right. Home run derby captains, Robinson Cano, David Wright. What do you think of that? Um... Nice uh, New York flavor to that, huh? Yeah, I mean, is, is that cool that they do stuff like that? They, they did that on purpose, obviously. That's yeah, a New York flavor. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's pretty cool. Of course. Uh, you know, question would be, uh, will uh, 
will Cano be allowed to participate, or will he be uh, uh, under a hundred game suspension by that point? I, <laughs> I, if you hear anything about it, it's going to come after the All Star break because they are not going to want to taint the All Star game, especially in New York. Uh, the All Star game is still what? Uh, we're still a good five weeks away yet. Oh man, we thought it was going to be we thought it was going to be after preseason, after training camps, after the World Basketball Classic, you know, or baseball classic, you know. Yeah, we uh, yeah, it seems to me this is uh Major League Baseball not wanting to deal with the situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, you know what? I think it's ridiculous what they're doing. That's why I want to see baseball continually to get embarrassed because if it was me, I'd lock these guys up throw away the key. But that's uh, just... Since you brought up the uh, home run dirty, dirty. now I haven't heard who the participants are going to be yet. I okay. haven't heard either. Okay, so maybe I'm, I might be completely off here. I was going to say, uh, should uh, Dominic Brown be one of them? Oh, absolutely. If they put him on the ballot, because there is a ballot. There For the is home run dirty? Yes, there is. I just okay. looked at it, and guess what? He is not on it. Oh, he's not? Nope. Home run derby fan poll. We got Beltran Braun, Ryan Braun, Mike, Bryce Harper, Hayward, Kemp, McCutcheon, Posey, Stanton, Votto, and Wright on the uh, National League thing over at MLB.com. Huh. If you could choose who you would like to participate in the home run derby, but I think Dominic Brown deserves a spot. I mean, how can you not have your leading home run guys in there? Exactly. I mean, isn't that what the home run derby's all about? That's what I thought. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Once again, Bud Selig, Major League Baseball. I love watching you uh, guys – Continually add on to the demise of your sport. It's great. All right, Mike. Well, that's it for today's show. we got a little over two minutes, so let's plug a couple of things here real quick. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., another live episode of Sports Blogger Radio. John Leary, Scott Blooney will be joined by Yahoo Sports contributor Melissa Fjord to talk about tonight's Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Mike? That should be awesome. Throw it out right now. Who do you want to see win this Finals? Are, are you ready for it? Have you thought about it? I have. Who do you got? Um, I, I, and I don't want to disappoint my guys up in Boston, but I got to tell you, I really want to see Chicago win it. Okay. Uh, I know they're going to disown me and hate me and send me uh, hate mail and what have you. But John's already writing in the chat room. I know. I'm sure. I don't even want to look over. But uh, I, uh, I, I, frankly, I like Chicago's chances a bit more. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Chicago is a uh, is favored uh, in this evening's game, but of course. Uh, that game is in Chicago, is it not? I believe so. I'm almost positive. I'm okay with whoever wins out of both of these, Mike. Um, but at the same time, I really, really, really would like to see the Bruins win it for one reason alone, and that's Tuka Rask. I thought he has done a phenomenal job, and he's really taken a lot on his shoulders, especially after Tim Thomas leaving in the way he left. And Tuka Rask has really just launched himself in being one of the elite goaltenders in the NHL. So I would like to see Tuka Rask get a cup um, by him actually playing. It doesn't. There are a couple of guys on the Blackhawks that wouldn't mind them seeing, uh, you know, win, win a cup as well. So we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, and I think that my, my the reason that I want to see Chicago win it is because they had such a phenomenal regular season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you got to give it to the Bruins, too. They are probably the most physical team in the NHL. So it's going to be enough. a good one. Starts today, 8 o'clock. Uh, but also tomorrow, Sports Blogger Radio, like I said, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, live right here. Call in and talk to the guys about the Bruins and the Blackhawks, man. They'll appreciate it. 
Um, as, and also, once once again, I want to thank Billy Corbin, director of ESPN's 30 for 30 Broke Documentary, for joining us today at the last minute and talking about the documentary and David Stern's comments. It was a real pleasure having him on. So, for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Ragus. We'll see you all tomorrow for Sports Blogger Radio. Catch you then.